And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology and your host for today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things Amazon e-commerce entrepreneurship. Uh, we're going to get into the shit today. Are you ready? Uh, before we get started, shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Zoe, welcome to the show. Andrew, it is such a pleasure to be here. I'm coming in loud and clear from our little headquarters in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, one of Minneapolis's or Minnesota's top startups. Um, yes. How do you feel about that? Incredibly flattering. I think there's this thing that happens when you're building something, you kind of get tunnel vision. And I know for me, at least being recognized in that way locally and now nationally going from this local brand in Minnesota, all the way to na nationwide distribution for our tree free products. It's been a wild ride and it feels really good to be able to now like kind of be like, oh my gosh, we have a reputation. Like people are learning about us. We're building our brand awareness. And really it's so much more than just a dream. It's a real thing that's really scaled into something incredible. And I can't wait to share more with your listeners a little bit about our journey. Yeah, before we get into Bim Bamboo, the company that we're talking about here that's been ranked as a top startup in Minnesota, let's talk about you a little bit. So Zoe Levine, I think I'm saying that right. Where do you, where did you get started? Like, did you always know you want to be an entrepreneur? Like, where's your story start? Does it start, you know, outside of college? Was it after that? Let's go as far back as you want to go. Well, before I became Zoe Levine, the toilet paper queen, I was for sure that little girl in the neighborhood that was finding weird things to make and sell to all of her neighbors. Like I was literally a traveling sales girl. Um, I always had an entrepreneurial bone and one of my first inventions was a dog stroller. So I okay. was like, this is before, I mean, now they're like a thing. I was like, gosh, I should have ran with it. But I was constantly looking for problems to solve. And I had a dog that had like a seizure problem and he couldn't walk on a leash with like a collar. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, like I bet the dog would really like to go walking. So I developed and prototyped like a dog stroller. Um, and I mean, and clearly that one didn't go into mass reduction. I talked to a lawyer at some point being like, what is a patch? How does this work? But yeah, always yeah, just, yeah, um, like yeah, I mean, it was that way where like, I think this is probably a, a constant in all your interviews with entrepreneurs is there is a incredible hunger for curiosity and problem solving. Like, gosh, why does it got to be that way? And yep. um, that's really ultimately where this journey began for me as an entrepreneur, I was really lucky. I grew up with a, a dad that was quite a serial entrepreneur himself and a really wonderful uh, role model and mentor. And 
I also had a mother, I have a mother, she's still alive, um, who's an artist. And there's something that happens when you're around like both an entrepreneur and an, art, and an artist as a young person where you're like, oh my gosh, literally I could make anything. And um, I ended up focusing on theater. And okay. uh, so I, I was uh, into puppetry for a long time and directing and acting and uh, ended up, I had a, a moment where I said to myself, gosh, I really want to make money. And I knew that if I were to follow that track, especially um, given, I mean, now the state of things, I am so grateful that I, I got really clear with myself about the value that I wanted in my bank account, that I got really clear about what meant something to me and that stability, the financial stability meant a lot. So I walked away from that career and uh, aggressively pursued uh, the ad world. So I was like at a couple different boutique agencies here in the Twin Cities. I had also launched uh, the Sun can we, can we stop right there? I want to ask oh, some yeah. good questions. Okay. So one, to my listeners, like your story and mine aren't that far off in regards mm. to my dad was a missionary, but started schools and all types of stuff. So he was a, an entrepreneur, but just not financially motivated. And, you know, my mom was someone making bow and arrows out of sticks and bottle caps. And like, you know, just like that real creative mom. That's like, just we, we grew up, I grew up in Africa. So she was always making us toys and, you know, just out of anything you were, we were having fun. And, um, after that, like after school and coming back to the U S we'll skip some of that, but I, I went into music. So I was touring for about four and a half years, um, probably similar to theater in that way in regards to just like creative expression and, and what, what was handed to you or the tools you had at that time to really be expressive. And um, for me, that was music. And then I got tired of being poor and I got focused on, you know, for me, it was it was almost selfish to be poor in some ways. I started seeing it that way. At least that's how I justified it. And it was like, look, I can get by with nothing, but if anyone asks me for help or I want to help anyone. I literally have like no dollars in my bank account outside of like paying for my bills and going on tour and whatever. And so, um, yeah, that's when I like really just focused and was like, you know, for me, I didn't want to be a, I didn't want to turn 30 and still be playing music and poor as hell. And just like, you know, then start hating the thing that I loved so much. And so, um, yeah, I started pursuing it. It wasn't the ad world. It was, I went to school for like computer science and networking. So, um, that's what I had my degree and that's what I went into, but I found myself in advertising now, um, we're an Amazon advertising partner, but I just want to stop because those similarities are a lot of fun. Um, you know, whenever I moved from my first startup back to Kansas city and became an e-commerce manager, like right at the beginning of my kind of like e-commerce and then right after that was when I, I started my own company um, I was trying to apply at all the boutique kind of advertising places here in Kansas City and was getting turned away you know my experience with IT was just not advertising and so it didn't matter if I was technical or not they you know they wanted more experience than that um, how'd you get your foot in the door I had a really similar experience so I'm curious after hearing your story Andrew did you enter into your career during the Great Recession? I was still in school and touring in 2008. Okay. 
So I graduated college. It took me six and some change to get my bachelor's degree because I was just touring and going part time and moving from Hawaii to Kansas City and all these things. Um, but no, I would say I was still in like bartending and touring and in school in like seven, eight, nine, 2009. Okay. So like, let's, let, we'll press the rewind button. We'll hop into our time machine now. Yeah. We'll rewind to the great recession. Okay. So um, for our listeners who haven't lived through this, especially, um, this was a time when like, it was just dire. I mean, I remember I had just started college and had an intense interest in like, I was always that person similar to you. It sounds like, like I always had a job. Always. I had three. Yeah, exactly. I rotated them out. The one I hated the worst, you know? So same kind of deal. And I remember the great recession hit and I was living in SoCal at the time and everyone was just like, how are you doing this? Like I was on a full, like I was taking like 27 credits at a community college and like, you know, everything I was interested in. I didn't give myself any limits and I had like two or three jobs, same thing. And I was also um, doing a project for the, it was called Future Board. It was a giant media company's like millennial incubator. And I had, you know, I was doing something for like the advertising federation for our school chapter. I mean, I was doing it all. And everyone was just like, how are you able to do this? Like no one could even get a job at Subway with a bachelor's degree at the time, which seems. Mm. I do think, I do think that the Midwest and Kansas city is like infamous or famous, I guess for um, during recessions kind of being hit the least because we're right in the middle of the country not on the coast and because we have so much like manufacturing diversity, meaning like Kansas city is known a little bit for a whole bunch of things versus like, like let's say being from Michigan and like the automobile industry is shut down. Like everyone's hurting in the Midwest. We, you know, I think like dog food or something Garmin or like the kind of kind of companies that are based out of here are just like you, you know, you wouldn't really think of it, but that is something that like during that same period of time, I think being in Southern California would have been way more extreme than the Midwest. It was incredible. I mean, I have never, it's funny now. Cause like I'm on the other side, I'm like hiring interns and like build, you know, helping people build their careers now. And that's something I really pride myself on. Cause I was an intern so many places and that's yeah. really how I entered the ad world right? It started, I was, I was saying yes to everything. Like this was at the time where you didn't even have to pay interns. They were just like, you would just be like, listen, I just desperately want experience. Someone please hire me. Like, and you would just like, I remember being grateful that one of my internships, they would pay for my parking. They would send me out to the meter to plug the meter at my very first It was at an experiential marketing agency. So we were doing event production, specifically in the nonprofit space. And I remember feeling so grateful that they would pay, they would hand me a a sleeve of quarters and send me down to the meter to plug it. And I was just thinking, gosh, this is a great gig. See, like in those, in that time, my dad, and I'm like the first to get a college degree in my family, um, a secular degree, a non, you know, a seminary degree. And my dad, knowing that and kind of seeing me go like all in on the music stuff I was all in like 150 percent and working three jobs and going to school and all those things and um you know he was 
internship, 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 internship. I was like, you don't must not understand my life. Like I have to only spend time on things that make me money. You know what I mean? Like I can't work a job for just experience. It wasn't possible at that time. Like I, my parents lived far away. I was supporting myself. Um, and I passed on internships because they didn't pay. Uh, you know, it was a different time of life and you can look back on it and be like, you should have figured it out or something. But um, I literally couldn't trade experience for food or rent, you know, so I can I can feel you on the quarters for the parking. Like, I feel that. Yeah, I desperately needed it. And I was so lucky at the time. Like, that's you make a really good point. I was really lucky at the time that I was able to balance a, like unpaid internships over summer periods with scholarships over the school year and then I had through my school I somehow found a paid internship and I remember being like they oh baby I was like yeah because I had got my my food everything was budgets then that's the other thing it's like there is a product of living through an experience like that the same way I'm sure we'll look back at this dumpster fire um and say the same thing uh but there was a period of life that we lived through that forced us when we were coming into what it meant to like embrace adulthood that we had to budget like we didn't get a choice and that we had to be like okay where is my meal gonna come from how much do, could I spend on food like because money and income was so challenging and you really had to think hard about how you were going to secure it. And I do feel that there's, um, it's it's a little underrated for our generation of this breed of kind of entrepreneur, but we do have in some ways like a leg up because of that scarcity mindset. I've yep. met so many founders. There's nothing wrong with fundraising, but like I've met so many founders that they're like, yeah, I want to fundraise. And I'm like, yeah, what for? Yeah, what like this, person, this for? entrepreneur doesn't even know how to ask people for stuff. So. <laughs> Like fundraising sounds stressful as hell to me. I don't know. Um, but I'm with you on that. And like we another thing about the millennials in this generation, if we're millennials, I don't know, we're on the cusp of a lot of things. But it's like, um, you know, we also at this time, we're embracing tech. Like, you know, where I went to school for IT or advertising the whole world was changing at that time social media was coming out like tech the internet was getting access to everything so not only did we go through like multiple receptions pandemics world wars and all the shit we're going through but we're the first generation to really be there at the birth of like the pc uh the in-home computer uh and then like to where we are today um, and to me, like, I don't think enough people give us credit for being able to process. We're the first human generation to have to process social media at a high level, um, to go from like old school. We used to have to call the phone, call the dad to like being able to slide into the DMS, with a dick pic, you know, like things have changed a lot in a short amount of time. Um, and I'm making a joke, but you know, my business wouldn't be here without the internet and e-commerce. Um, you know, so the, even the opportunities that we have a hold of now weren't there um, you know, early on kind of going through that kind of stuff. So we hadn't seen people doing this ahead of us at the very least. Um, in yeah, it's funny. Time. This morning I was listening to, um, the Harvard, Harvard business reviews podcast. Um, you know, sometimes when I get ready, super, for the nerd. Day. super yeah, nerd, super nerd over here. And so I'm listening to it and they're talking about ethics as it, as it pertains to like, 
you know, there's this thing that happens when you're an entrepreneur and you speak to this, Andrew, which is like, sometimes you have to use your imagination to create something that wasn't there yesterday. It wasn't mm. there 10 years ago. You didn't even have a model to look to. And they were talking about this as it relates to ethics and lying. And I remember I, I had finished listening to this podcast. I subbed it from one of my friends who's an entrepreneur in the crypto industry. And I was just like, what kind of like class A bullshit is this? Like that you as an entrepreneur, I mean, I think this stretches the definition of lying a bit, but sometimes you have to believe, not just create, but you have to believe in a future that didn't exist. That, that you know, when, especially if you're coming from tech or into tech or building tech. And sometimes there aren't even laws around it yet. Correct. Like the first Uber, like that didn't... <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah. Like they were like, yeah, I guess it might be illegal, but let's just see how it goes. And um, I think it's really interesting to think about living in a world with a level of complacency for what is versus pioneering. That's why I struggle. Um, I love traveling. It's a huge part of my why. It's everything. I love history. I could read a like a historical textbook and just like read it and read about these great men and women of the past that did crazy things or, or horrible things. I just like reading about people and human nature. And um, but on the flip side of that, there's a side of me that loves innovation and change and growth and assimilating like new ideas and, and crazy creative brain. Um, my imagination is unmatched. I think uh, growing up in Congo with like literally nothing um my imagination ran free for a long long part of my life i didn't even have other kids giving me inputs or anything you know so i could just dream up whatever i wanted to dream up and um so there's these conflicting sides of me we learn so much from the past but like what excites me is is um solving future problems and innovating things and creating things and um there's that contradiction there. And so like when I'm traveling, being in some places, like even um, I'm going to upset some people probably listening, but like Italy or the Czech Republic or some of these places that have just so much history in them, but their cultures are one unlike ours where their culture is one of um, being proud of the things of the past and holding on to those things of the past. And like almost a complacency that, Hey, what we made in the past was amazing. And um, we're going to hold on to that. You know, and so a lot of those countries are still um, they're not pushing innovation or they're not like, you know, and, and at least in the in the states, while we have crazy competition, crazy work hours, I'm not talking pros and cons. I'm just talking about um, cultures that are more about, um, you know, embracing change and growth and not being a complacent culture. Uh, and once you become that as an entrepreneur, it's uh, you can be surrounded even here in the U.S. by everyone else that's not that's complacent. And, you know, it can be can be lonely it can be isolating it can be all those things but it's something that entrepreneurs have in common um that brings us all together is that curiosity piece you talked about curiosity okay bringing us back bringing us back home i want to go into because I, I took us way down a rabbit hole um okay so you were in the advertising world in in minnesota and we're like doing all these things like getting your foot in the advertising world yes and that's where you know talking about like social media and I mean like this like uh it became so much a part of my my I guess like a boot camp in 
both, I wouldn't say necessarily brand building, but in all of the things that you need to build a brand. Okay. So like learning how to write copy and um, how to marry an image with copy. Uh, Instagram had just come out at the time. And I remember being like, oh, wow, this is like a thing. And to see how that's evolved and really using that to build community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So kind of like at the inception of so much of these um, platforms that have literally changed the entire media landscape of our our nation uh today the world it's really powerful to see what's possible and at the time we just were like oh this is like a pretty platform you can post photos on so um that was like really ultimately though i remember i had transitioned out of the agency and my father had approached me and was like hey like have you ever thought of starting your own company like are there any things that like really spark your interest and we were reading a newspaper around like the breakfast table and i was like yo have you heard seen this it was an article about deforestation and said that twenty-seven thousand trees were flushed down the toilet every day and i remember being like this is ridiculous that's like seriously and it's funny now because not funny but like it's really interesting now seeing how climate the climate crisis is impacting the gen z population and seeing how that's also going to impact i think it's like the alpha or i forget what the next one is like the babies of today but we are it's it's really fascinating when you put this in the context of what is the role of the entrepreneur in a societal structure it's a, it's a heartbeat. It's a heartbeat. We create the jobs. If you do any research on it, like, um, you know, we small business entrepreneurs, founders, we are the ones that create the small jobs and communities in America that push innovation that make change. Um, so yeah, I would say we're, if we're the if we're any body part, I would say it's the heart. I would say it's like the spirit okay. in some ways, because it is somehow our job to pull off magic Mm. we are at an unprecedented place as humanity and it is not going to be a government that comes in and solves these things lickety split it's going to be the entrepreneurs these wild entrepreneurs with incredible pioneering ideas that are willing to put themselves on the line for a better future for all i really do believe that through and through, that we are here in many ways. Entrepreneurs are here to save the planet or like yeah, humanity. Yeah. And well, I, our, and- our title today is using CPGs as a tool for social good. Um, kind of understanding the context around your business. Like, so you're reading the newspaper with your dad. You see like this, you kind of get a light bulb mo- moment, I guess, of like, this is something horrible that I want a problem that I'm going to take on and fix um you had just gotten out of the ad world and yeah. we're like i'm gonna start a business like what did you do next i had no idea what to do so i just started talking to people about it and one thing led to another and i just started researching like i was like let's talk about paper making like because it's everywhere and that's what really turned me on about this category is this is something 
every single person uses. And it just so happens that America is the number one user of toilet paper in the world. So I was like, gosh, talk about a category opportunity, you know, and this is like, I was really young then. Like this is, um, I was in my early twenties when this whole journey started and it's been a lot of time in incubation where I was, learning about sourcing and vetting suppliers and getting samples and testing in the market and talking with buyers. And one thing led to another, of course, but it really started with that, that spark of curiosity at the breakfast table. And uh, it led me now to a launch in Whole Foods Market Global. We're on sale right now. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like, this is crazy because there are so few that make it to that level. And so like every day I'm just like, pinch me. This is incredible. I'm literally changing the world. And I'm also like building something for good and it can actually like feed me and it can feed my people. And, um, and it's building a community around something that's so much bigger than just a product. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, and it's something that like definitely in the Amazon space, um, you know, pushing brands to be on Amazon whole foods obviously is an Amazon company. Um, you know, so there's so many food brands. There's so many brands during the pandemic that we were working with my agency on Amazon, that Amazon was a lifeline for those businesses, you know, um, to get as brick and mortars closed as those things like that, like food and essential items were just like exploding. Um, and being there to help them navigate some of that and, and feel like you're doing good, um, you know, and ch- even even on our end, I guess some of the small controls for that social good is like choosing who we work with. And if we, um, you know, what products they're selling and um, do we feel like that goes against our co- our moral code? You know, I started my business. Um, we just turned seven in August. So we um, thank you. Thank you. Um, but my sisters work with me, my family, um, they were like kind of the first few to believe in kind of what I was doing. And so no one was really pushing Amazon branding and storytelling on that platform. It was just like, you know, just another platform. Um, and so, yeah, when, when you, when you're doing something, you're working 14 hour days, 16 hour days, 24 hour days, sometimes, um, you know, whenever your focus is I'm doing good, I'm a lifeline for people. I'm changing my family's legacy i'm feeding my people so to speak um it can be like i don't know almost like endless energy or endless motivation uh if you have the right thing in mind and i think that's what some entrepreneurs lose is they're in it for money or they're in it for different reasons and that's a big part of it don't get me wrong it's a big big part of it it's it's like you have to focus on it all the time but um if you're only focused on that your motivation is going to come and go And so, you know, to really do something hard and to change the world, um, you know, you got to keep your focus like laser focused. Um, So, okay, so this was like early 20s. Let's talk about like, you know, you're in Whole Foods, you're continuing to grow, you're a top Minnesota startup, like um, hiring interns. What's what's next? Like on on the I guess on the roadmap for um, Ben Bamboo. We have a lot of really interesting things that we've been working on. And this is actually, it's funny that you bring up like laser focus because I think after going through 2020 as a toilet paper company, primarily, we 
we got laser focused actually during that year. We were in hardcore product development mode. We pioneered, technically it's three new products. So we are releasing a flushable bamboo wipe, which is like the first on the market. I've, and I'm really excited about it. We have our um, facial tissue, which is like this gorgeous terrazzo facial tissue we collabed with uh, interior designer to help create like something you'd actually want in your home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super fab. It's really sleek. And then we have our paper towel, these tree saving towels. They're like ridiculously strong, amazing product. And so like, not only did we navigate a 500 store launch in less than 60 days in brick and mortar, but we also were hardcore, like, like, like really had our heads down and we're working in product dev. So this year has been a very different year because Mm -hmm. we're riding the launch wave, right? We're like slowly rolling these out or unrolling maybe, um, toilet paper, paper towels, facial tissue, and the wipes all across the different e-com channels, which has been having an omni-channel focused company has really shifted the way I think about product dev. Yep. And, you know, I also, I remember. But to think about all of them at the beginning, instead of like, I thought about brick and mortar. Oh my God. And now I got to think about how to ship this. Oh, okay. And then Walmart has these specs and Amazon has these specs and, you know, Wafer has these specs. And yeah, once you get into the omni-channel for sure, I think there's things you can think about early on when you're developing the products to set you up for success across all of them. That is Um, the secret sauce, Andrew. Like this is what makes, this separates what the wheat from the chaff like this is it it's down to the nitty-gritty product dev you have to have enough operational prowess to understand how things how fee structures work based on dimensions based on margins based on you know and see like you need to play all that out from the very minute you think to yourself like little zoe like oh i want to make a dog stroller (laughs) if i could go back and talk to her i would have been like let's talk dimensions how is that going to get built (laughs) how is that going to pack down and can you ship it like yeah exactly um so those are the questions that like I'm, I'm giving myself a little bit of a break this year. So instead of being laser focused, I'm like, okay, like we hired our first VP of ops. Okay. turns out you, when you bring your, when you hire your first, like really, really good person on your team, they literally transform your life. Um, so that was one of the biggest, biggest things we've done is kind of look at our internal structures and make some pivots to be more, I guess, like sustainable for us as a company and and the people inside the company and also giving ourselves a little bit of a break to play. So for example, we're working on, I swear to God, this is one of my most groundbreaking products I've ever, ever developed. I can't talk about it yet, but it's our Christmas offering and it is so funny. It is so unique. I cannot wait to share this with the world, but it's one of those things like that was a result of me giving myself a minute to turn off the laser focused and just get into the creative zone again. Cause that for me, that's why I'm here. Like I'm fueled by that and I'm fueled by figuring out other ways to like invite people to make change in their life. 
and like be joyful. So that really, this Christmas offering really falls in line with that. And I can't wait to get you a box when we launch. I love it. And I love where you're aligned on, on so many things. Um, you know, for me, my social media is very much that, like, that's why I love inspiring people, trying to help them find and change their lives because it made me happier and I struggled to figure it out, you know? So if I can share any of that, like I do, um, and that's what makes me feel, I guess, rewarded. And, and this is a gift I have that's free that I can give out to anyone, you know, whether it's just a mindset shift or a perspective shift or the ability to change, hope for change um, in the areas of your life or the job that you hate or um, the relationship you can't have, you don't know how to communicate in or, you know, whatever that is. Um, business and entrepreneurship has helped me learn those things as a person, like as a person. And so um, I'm not sure I would have pushed through them without entrepreneurship. You know, I, I'd like to think that I would, but uh, it's hard to see that without it now in hindsight. And um, those are the things that I think, you know, when people are thinking about being entrepreneurs or struggling or like it's this, this focus. And like me and my sister, um, Veronica, my oldest sister, she's our COO. And um, she moved here like year three of the business, I think, and really helped me like be employed. She was working remote from Florida moved here and like really helped me grow. And, um, you know, we were three people in those days. We're at 24 now. So yeah, we've grown quite a bit. Um, and it was in those early days, like me and her would make a commitment. We love traveling and all that stuff. And it would be like almost like one year of grind, like focus. And then the next year of we're going to travel and we're not like taking it. We're not taking a chill pill, but we, it's not the same focus. We're taking more breaks to travel and taking a Friday off and allowing for that creativity, that creativeness to like come inside. Because if you're doing, if you're in growth mode and a lean mode at the same time, like it's very hard to be data driven and doing all these things for e-commerce for the brands we work with and then also be creative for our own businesses. Um, so even like this, this is content creation now, right? And, um, you know, do a lot of that. And if all you're doing is just pouring into other things, you don't have anything for your own business or your own people. So we refer to it a little bit, like um, a little bit different, but very much so it's worked out to be like uh, 2019 was, 2018 was a grind year. 2019 was like kind of a fun travel as much as we could year. 2020 was a laser focused year again on systems and scaling and, all of that. And then 2021, you know, opening things back up, um, you know, we're traveling and, and going to different events and speaking events and things like that, which is fun for us. So I'm, I'm there with you. And I think that it, whether you follow that model or not to anyone listening, like you just have to figure out what works for you. That's what people refer to as balance. Uh, it can mean different things to different people. For me, it's a year at a time, a year of focus, absolute focus, and then a year of not. Um, but awesome products coming out in Christmas. Okay, we're coming up. Before we jump into just like my last few questions, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. If you're an entrepreneur or, um, you know, a business owner or even, a, you know, just someone working at a company that knows you have a need for uh, software developers and tech and, and speeding up your growth or have an idea for a launch, Fullscale.io is a great place to start. Um, and the reason we can have this show today. So I wanted to give them a shout out. Zoe, um, people are going to be able to see your contact links in the bio, at the, you know, in the podcast description. We're going to send out social links like that and whatever. But where do you like to be contacted if you're engaging with any like, you know, either customers or fans of the show or if anyone's trying to get a hold of you, where do they find you? I would say LinkedIn. I 
I will say like LinkedIn has literally changed my life. We're getting like, mature. We're getting mature for sure. I love it. I mean, that's how I sold Whole Foods. Like that is where the magic happens. And it's where I think ultimately I get the highest ROI for my time. Uh, so I would say LinkedIn is a wonderful place to reach out. It'll also help me understand you better and maybe provide you with more value if you reach out on LinkedIn. I love it. Okay. So you guys heard it LinkedIn and I will have the notes. We talked about, you know, um, you know, what you're focused on and you're focused on having fun and being creative and, you know, coming up with new ideas for new products. Um, you know, what's something right around the corner that you guys are either releasing or an event you're doing? Um, you know, what's something you want to share with our listeners that they can kind of start following you along? I'd love for people to start following you guys on social and seeing some of these product drops. Like, uh, is there any, can you give any kind of hint on, on, you know, um, something fun you guys are doing next? I mean, the Christmas drop is going to be unreal. That's right around the corner. really. It's literally right right around the corner. So we're like finishing our Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals right now and like finishing our prototypes because like this is like a product you've never seen before. Okay. Um, uh, I will give a little hint. I will give a little hint if anyone has like a brain that they like to problem solve. Like, please contact me and let me like, I'm curious if you can figure this out, listeners. But we are doing a recording on Monday for our Christmas drop. Okay. That is your one hint. Okay. I love it. Um, yeah. But like other fun stuff we have on the horizon is our, our flushable wipes are going to be launching this December. So that's like kind of around Christmas time, but it's not our Christmas drop. And uh, we are also going to be participating here locally in the Twin City Startup Week, which okay. is this phenomenal event that's produced locally to bring in new talent, new blood, and really share around what it means to be a startup. Uh, And it is a phenomenal event. I'm really looking forward to it, but I'm speaking on a few panels there around um, what it means to be local, like, and what local economy, uh, what it means to contribute to a local economy as a startup and like what that, what that's like. Um, trying to think of what else that we have going on we also have our sale going on at whole foods right now so like i'll plug that because it is our birthday sale it's the best sale of the year that we do and if you've ever been interested in trying tree-free paper and like because that's like a number one question i ask people are like oh my god what's it like um but if you'd like to actually try, try it. it yeah try it Go take a um, i mean i yeah, you can get it for less than a dollar a roll right now, which is a steal. And, you know, just like FYI to listeners right now, we're seeing some changes. Like I joked this morning, I had a meeting with one of the number one retailers in the country. Okay. Uh, and I was joking with the buyer. I was like, dude, like crypto and toilet paper, like we are toilet paper is the crypto of the industry, the consumer goods industry right now, because we're seeing demand starting to shift um there were uh, there was an article this morning and like twitter was blowing up about costco being out of stock in the la area um so like things are changing rapidly right now in this market and it's really interesting to navigate that as an entrepreneur right now too just being i I wouldn't be doing myself justice or our listeners justice if i didn't ask you about amazon as part of your channel um, are you guys on Amazon? I know you're with Whole yes. Foods. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. 
No, it does right now. So that's actually a really good question. I um, originally started, I, I did a Kickstarter. Okay. And I sat down with Amazon Prime, FBA Dimensions for uh, like oversized or standard, standard dimensions. And I remember sitting down being like, I'm going to create a toilet paper roll that fits in this. Since then, since I launched the Kickstarter successfully and then launched onto Amazon with a 24 roll pack, I did very little research. This was like Jungle Scout wasn't around or any of that. Okay. Or I didn't use any of that fancy stuff. And I was just like, I'm going to launch toilet paper. Woo! I'm going to start a business. Since then, we like skyrocketed. I remember I was so, so excited. I didn't put any ad spend behind it. And I was killing it. I was doing up to 50 pieces a day in my first like couple months without any, any investment really. And um, that has been a super healthy channel for us. And it's been really fun to see how ultimately not only have we grown the category, like a bunch of, you know, hawks came in and we're like, this girl's killing it. We should probably kill it too, but better with a lot more funding. Um, So they came in and like, now there's like, it's a huge category. Tree-free toilet paper is a big category on Amazon. I would say it's flooded now, but um, it's also informed a lot of what we do at Whole Foods. So because we are operating in this omni-channel fashion, as you mentioned, Andrew, um, we have our SKUs at Amazon that are available for delivery prime now, two hours or less. And those are also available on amazon.com. So we have this full kind of scope of products available now. And, um, but it really, like, I will say we kind of fell behind when it came to the like the the toilet paper shortage we really had to get clear about what channels we wanted to support because there was such limited supply so there was a moment you know i'm sure most of these listeners have like the amazon app on their phone so i'm like hanging out it's like march i don't know 18th 2020 whatever whatever date it was where everything just blew up like the 13th or the 18th it's like i'm hanging out and i'm looking at my Amazon app, just checking on my sales for the day. And I looked at the number and I was like, oh my God. And then I looked back at the number and it was like, is this real? And I shut down the app and I restarted my phone because I was like, this has got to be a glitch. There's no way this is real. We had sold three months worth of inventory in less than 24 hours. Yep. So I've been launching brands on Amazon for 10 years. uh, And so I've seen a lot. And sometimes it's a new invention. Sometimes it's just a product. And sometimes it's everybody else running out of stock. There's a million reasons why that can happen. And that's a nightmare in and of itself. Everyone else just thinking about, you know, the sales you're getting from three months worth of sales in in one day. But now you have a different set of problems. Um, You know, like if you're talking about the Amazon algorithm and how everything works. And one thing I wanted to say to any listeners out there is like a lot of people think, you know, brick and mortar is the traditional way to to grow and, and it still is super strong and, and selling wholesaler through distributors and brick and mortar is still super strong. It should be part of your your um, your strategy. But you can you can create or set yourself up to make to make relationships like you did with Whole Foods by being on Amazon before you're talking to them, moving product. They're going to be able to go in there and see your data, see where you're selling. Um, and so that's happened to me multiple times where we've launched very successfully on Amazon and then the conversations with Whole Foods come after that and trying to get that conversation with Whole Foods when you haven't moved any product, um, I think is a completely different game. And so, you know, a lot of brick and mortar decisions can be made through your e-commerce, or your omni-channel 
um, you know, especially if you understand the data and you're tracking zip codes and you understand where your, your customers are and those kinds of things. So I just want to give a little like free tip, I guess, there at the end as we're wrapping up too. Um, you know, you talked about reaching out to Whole Foods on LinkedIn, but if you had to, if I was a betting man, I would say it, would, it was based on around your success on Amazon that got you probably even them listening um, and them seeing like them being able to quickly look you up and see your product there and see what, you know, your volume because they have the, that ability. Um, and then just being able to be in the, what is it? Prime pantry. Is that the one? No, um, it's actually a totally separate program. That's only available for wholesale stocked goods. Okay. Okay. So that's that pickup in two hours or that's the delivery in two hours. Okay. So I know there's prime pantry, there's whole foods. There's like, cause we have a, we were working with a company called Tico that had like single cans of tea that you could buy on Amazon for like you know, a dollar sixty nine or something uh, with a certain subscription. And um, obviously you can't be profitable if they're not, if they don't have those items in store. Right. So um, very, very cool. And were you part of the Launchpad program whenever you did the Kickstarter? No, I was approached and decided I didn't want to participate in it. But, you know, I think this is the thing about Amazon is it is a, I look, did look at it as a beta test program for, our idea and to see if there truly was a market that existed for this. Cause at the time it was a, like the idea of making toilet paper out of something that wasn't a tree and was available on a major marketplace. It was unheard of. Right. And I think that's rather than just like, yeah, launch a product or a brand on Amazon and bring it to a major retailer. That is, I think what you made a, is a really good point, which is it's a starting point right? It's the beginning where you can come in with data that brands never had before. You can say, hey, Target, we've been killing it on Amazon. We are seeing incredible velocity in this geographic area. And we feel that these five stores, if you're going to do a test with our brand, if you want to get hyper local about where we're going to do the best and bring you the most revenue, because they're not interested in you just selling. Yeah. yeah, but they're also interested in categorically growing their sales. They're not interested in you just getting on the shelf. They're interested in making more as a retailer. Yeah. So the question I would leave your listeners with is, if you're looking to make the leap from D to C into brick and mortar, is asking yourself before you get in that meeting, how am I going to grow incrementally grow sales for that retailer and ask that before you create your presentation for them. Because they're not going to do it for you. Nope. That's your job. They're not right. That's where I have a business on Amazon is Amazon saying, Hey, come sell on Amazon. But then it's on the person to figure out how to sell on that platform. And you could be a product that's new. And so you get that honeymoon stage of like being the first and, you know, trailblazing. Sure. But there's been a million situations where that isn't the case. And we still successfully launch brands. Um, and the same thing with Target, same thing with Home Depot, same thing with Walmart, same thing with Chewy.com. They all work together. They're all watching each other. Um, and so, you know, they might have, uh, they might be super strong in home and garden and super weak in apparel or different things like that. And so, you know, you can speak to them, like you're saying about their category that they want to grow, figure out what it is they're trying to grow, speak to that buyer. Um, you know, I, I've put some content out about knowing your enemy or knowing your competition in some ways, as, as, as well as your customer. Um, if I know every, every reservation they're going to have or the buzzwords they don't want to hear or, can speak to their problems without them having to tell me what those problems are. 
without ever having that shared with me and I'm speaking to them, it builds trust immediately um, with them because they're like, wow, this person is talking about stuff that we haven't even brought up um, that, you know, we just had this meeting an hour ago with our internal staff, you know? And so if you're doing those kinds of things that you can get with data, um, it can make those conversations even in a brick and mortar meeting completely different. Um, so whether you were aware of it or not, when you were doing those things, like, I think that's just very high level strategy, you know, using Amazon early on years ago, when you did that using Amazon, um, as a test, if you can't win on Amazon, um, cause to get a website working well, you have to do social, you got to drive traffic. You have to, you know, all these converting pages, you have to do storytelling. Well, you have to do all of these things, right. And there's a million ways you can mess it up. Um, yeah, I love that. I love this. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you started on Amazon. So that's cool. Yeah, I started my journey on Amazon and um, I did I did always chug away at brick and mortar though. So like that's the big leap is especially for our category. It's like, you know, be prepared for when the stars align. Yep. I don't believe in luck, but I do believe in opportunity meeting preparedness. And that is truly what the great toilet paper shortage taught me. I had it in me. I I was ready for scale. And I'm so proud of what we've been building at Bim Bamboo. And I'm really honored that I got to share our story with your listeners and you today. It's been Zoe, really, really fun. I've had a pleasure having you on the show. Your story is inspirational. I know people are going to love it. Thanks for sharing some of those details. Going to continue to follow you um, and see your story in this Christmas drop. I'm ready. You've got me hyped up. So um, shout out once again to our sponsor for today's episode, fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Hustlers, we'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.